This week at Hope Point. I cannot stress to you how important th- this scene is in heaven of everybody worshiping God because it finally answers ultimately the question of what is my purpose in life and we see it in Revelation 4, worship. But so what you're doing every Sunday morning is simply joining the 24 elders and the four living creatures and we'll see next week the redeemed of the nations surrounding God and every day, every Sunday morning, the reason why church on Sunday morning is so important is it's your opportunity to join with them in worship. Your purpose in life is to worship. Imagine hiking a mountain trail beside a stream. As you move further up the mountain, the stream gets bigger and the water moves faster. You begin to hear the roar of something mighty. And as you come around a clearing, all of a sudden you see a massive waterfall, the source of all the water that you experienced along the way. This is what's happening in the scene of heaven in Revelation 4. You are seeing the source of all goodness, all joy, all beauty, and all peace. Your enjoyment of seeing Him compels you to do something. And it is the only thing and the ultimate thing that satisfies every longing of every human, the worship of God. Let's listen to what Richard has to say to us from God's holy word. Hartsville International Airport, one of my favorites. In Atlanta, the busiest airport in the world, employs over 63,000 people. 300,000 passengers fly out of there every day. Uh, 2019, more than 900,000 flights came in or left um, Hartsfield. What I really love about um, Hartsfield International Airport is that the control tower there in the center of the airport, in the center of the five runways, it employs 58 air traffic controllers. You have to go to school for five years to be considered Um, You cannot work more than two hours at a time. Um, They move 120 planes around every hour, 120 planes and 2,600 planes per day. The reason I love the the tower is because it's so different than what you see as 300,000 people are making their way into the airport to one of the 150 gates. It's so busy and so chaotic and there in the tower, they control everything. And it looks so different from the tower's perspective as it does from the middle of the concourses. As you come to Revelation chapter 4, you come to the control tower of the universe. You come to the control tower of history and there on the throne of heaven is God. Revelation 4 and 5 is actually one vision of God. It's divided into two visions, God on his throne, Christ on his throne, Not enough time in one Sunday morning to look at both aspects of the same vision. So today we'll simply look at the majesty of the king on his throne in heaven. Let's take a brief look before we go specifically through the text. That's Revelation 4. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald and circled the throne. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones. That's cool. And seated on them were 24 elders. In the center around the throne were four living creatures. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne, and they worship him who lives forever and ever. 
They lay their crowns before the throne and they say, you are worthy, Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. I hope that by the time we study, finish studying the book of Revelation, someone asks you, do you now know what the book is about? I hope that your answer will be absolutely yes. The book of Revelation is about the greatness of God. Period. That's what it's about. The greatness of God is reflected in the fact that he's the source of all things. He's the controller of history. Every conflict in the world is a protest against his supremacy. Every spiritual, physical, intellectual, moral, social, cultural, educational, institutional, political, military conflict is a protest against God. That's why the world hurts. And God will eventually end all conflict. He's going to fill the whole universe with nothing but his glory. And believers will be rewarded and persecutors will be will be judged. So the reason that we love the book of Revelation is that in a world that tries to explain everything by math and science and psychology and law, leaving mankind in awe of nothing, Revelation declares war against this reductionist type thinking and says behind every lever of human power is the reason that anything moves. And that's the magnificent arm of God. So there's a reason that everything happens. There's a reason that everything will happen. It's because of God. Speaking of reasons, there is a reason. There's a strategy that the book is laid out as it is. as reflected in the way that chapter 4 opens. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. After what? Well, after the message to the seven churches. For the past seven weeks, we've been looking at seven churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, that represent all of the churches of all of the church age for 21 centuries. They were persecuted. They were harassed. Lord, some of them strayed on their own. They just got filled with the world. They, they, They succumbed to temptation. And so after all of this pressure to quit following God, whether it's persecution or temptation, In chapters 2 and 3, God gives the church a vision of the king that they're serving so they won't quit. That's why it's laid out as it is. The greatest remedy for pain is to look at the magnificence of God's power and love. It's impossible to suffer with hope apart from a big vision of a beautiful God. So that's why God gives Revelation 4 and 5 to the church that we'd be encouraged in the midst of our pain, which is legitimate and is a lot. The purpose of the book of Revelation is not to give a play-by-play analysis of how everything is going to happen from now till the end. It is, however, to give a very clear description of who is running the play-by-play analysis, and that is God. I like this, um, this phrase, in in chapter 1, the verse we just read, where the voice says, come up here. You know who who receives this letter? This is John, the apostle. He's on the island of Patmos, this rocky mess of substance 40 miles off of the coast of, um, of Turkey where he used to pastor in the city of Ephesus. 
And his faithful preaching landed him in jail and then in exile on Patmos. And there, all of a sudden, in the middle of all of his loneliness, a gate, a door of heaven opens, and he hears a voice saying, come up here. Now, who's the voice? Who's inviting him? Well, we know it's Jesus because he said, it's the voice I'd heard before. Well, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 13, he heard the voice of Jesus. So he said, Jesus has opened a gate, a door to heaven is saying, come up here, John. Which is a reminder, once again, that the only way that we can enter heaven is through Christ. He's the only one who opens the door. And he invites John to come look at how everything is going to play out. Now, this is an interesting phrase, too. Jesus says, I'm going to show you what must take place. How in the world do you know the end of the movie unless you wrote the movie? So Jesus says, I know how all of this is going to end because I'm controlling it. Jesus knows the future because he controls the future because he's already in the future. Verse 2 of Revelation 4 At once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby and a rainbow that shone like an emerald and circled the throne. It's interesting here that he makes this trip to heaven in the spirit. It's a supernatural thing, but it's a good principle for all of us to know that we are not going to see God at all. We're not going to understand anything about God apart from the Holy Spirit. He's the only one that can help us see. You can't understand what I'm saying here, reading your Bible alone, unless you invite Christ and his spirit into your life. He's the explainer. He's the transporter to to heaven. The Holy Spirit is very active in the book of Revelation. And here in this vision, the Holy Spirit helps John see something of God that he's never seen, God on his throne. But interesting how John says this. He didn't say, I saw, look what he says. And I was, before me was a throne with someone sitting on it. Now, if you were writing this, wouldn't you say, God? I just, that's a place that just for me that I want to write God. There before me was God sitting on his throne, but he doesn't do that because he doesn't want you to think God right now in terms of what's God like. He'll get to that later. He wants you to think right now, throne, kingly rule. In fact, in chapters four and five, he uses that word throne 17 times. In chapter six through 22, he uses it 21 more times throne. One king, one ruler in charge, and he's on his throne. He's nowhere else today. He's on his throne, and he's in charge, and he wants to encourage a persecuted, suffering church that God is on his his throne. But then he does begin to describe God some in in uh, in these verses, but interestingly, he doesn't He didn't describe God a lot in the book, more about Jesus in the book, but because God is sort of hard to describe. And even once you see him, how are you going to tell somebody else about him? It's almost like you today catching a flight, 
down to a third world country, going 600 miles into the, into the jungle to a people that have never seen civilization, and you're going to go in there and you're going to tell them about electricity. They're in the dark, and you tell them about a, a wire. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's like a vine. And it runs, uh, you get along your trees, and it goes into your hut and is connected to this glass object that looks like water, clear, but it's hard. And when you turn on the switch on your wall, in the middle of the night, there's light. So John struggles to tell us what God is like, so he just... He, he says some things here. He says, the one who sat there on the throne had the appearance of Jasper. Um, that stone is mentioned at the end uh, when he's describing the walls of heaven. That's the first jewel he mentions. There he says Jasper is clear. And so we think he's talking about diamonds. It's just that diamonds hadn't been cut in the first century like they are now, so they're not as sparkly he would have no idea what a cut diamond looks like, but probably a, a diamond. And then he talks about ruby red. That was one of the jewels there. And then a rainbow of green, emphasizing green that circled the throne. You know, when I'm, when I'm reading this description in Revelation, I'm always encouraged when I, I think about the rainbow over the throne. I mean, I think about all the jewels, the diamonds, the rubies, the emeralds, and I think about this rainbow over God. Because you and I know that the rainbow is a sign. You think rainbow, you think in the days of Noah when God destroyed the earth with a flood. There was one family on the earth that believed the words of God. And because of their belief and their obedience, he showed them mercy and protected them in the ark so they would not perish with the rest of the world. Rainbow, mercy. For those who believe. And by the way, if you want to know why a sexually rebellious culture has chosen the beautiful sign of God's rainbow in heaven as a symbol of their sexual rebellion, it's because it is a pattern that you'll see in Revelation, especially in chapters 13 and 14, where Satan even tries to imitate the Trinity. But Satan, we'll just say it like this. I think we will. Hmm. Satan despises God, wants to be God, and tries to claim what belongs to God. And that's why he has taken the rainbow, but it is God's rainbow. And we see in 1 Timothy 6.16 that God lives in unapproachable light. But if, you, if that's all the verse you had, then you come to Revelation 3 and you realize it's not just light that covers heaven, it's multicolored light in heaven that we will see forever and ever. So now John, he's looking at this multicolored light, glistening, all these jewels, and then he says, but there are other people seeing what I'm seeing. So the rest of chapter 4, he begins to describe the other people that are with him. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders, and they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. 
these guys are a little difficult to identify because they're not humans. They're angelic beings, but I think they are angelic beings that represent humans. The reason why we know they're not humans is two chapters later, they see a bunch of humans and they ask the angel, who are they? So you have this third party question later. They're asking, who are they? Who are the humans? But I think they represent, this is why I think they represent, there's one more reason I'll give you later, why I think they represent humans. Well, there's 24 of them. So you think about all the believers that were saved in the Old Testament that came out of the 12 tribes of Israel, following God, loving God by faith in the Old Testament from 12 tribes. Then you got all the believers in the New Testament who have been saved by the preaching of the 12 apostles. So I think you got 24 is is an important number. I think they represent all of the redeemed of humanity from the Old and the New Testament. And one of the reasons I believe they represent this is because of the crowns on their head. We've already seen that one of the rewards for obeying the Lord in our study of the churches is crowns. And white robes. So I think they're angelic beings who show us what the future is like for believers who get to sit on thrones and will receive rewards for their service to God and will be able to celebrate their purity of of the white robe of holiness. Revelation 4. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder, In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. Now, when you read verse 5 and you read about these rumblings and the thunders of heaven, you just got to use the fact that as we go through the book of Revelation, it's a very noisy book. There are, there's something always thundering or somebody's always hollering. But there's loud, loud voices, and they're always in conjunction with God releasing his judgments on the world. And there's a message in that, hang on, believer, no matter how loud the world shouts and how loud the storm is, there's going to be a voice one day that's louder than the storm. It's God's. He's going to shake things up, and one day there will only be one voice left, and it will be the loud voice of God. But it's interesting, in the middle of all this loudness and this thunder, there's also calmness. Verse 6, there's what looked like a sea or an ocean of glass. Now, uh, most of you have seen water in the morning at the, maybe an inlet or a pond, a lake, before the geese came and landed on it. And it's just calm. It's like glass. And so I think it's very comforting for believers to know that even though we live in a world of chaos, and I mean difficult, horrible, painful chaos, that in the throne room of God is calm because he's in control. 
It's like the air traffic controller in Atlanta. They know what they're doing. You remember when the disciples were all messed up on the Sea of Galilee. They were out with Jesus on the boat and a storm came up, which often comes up, but you don't want to be on the sea when it happens. And giant waves, four or five foot waves, howling winds, and they thought they, they were going to die. Literally, they were scared to death. And you remember what Jesus was doing? He's sleeping. So they woke him up. So the Bible says, Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely what? Calm. Now, there's one thing. That's what, that would be one cool thing to look. It was so windy in Spartanburg yesterday, wasn't it? It would be one thing to look at all of the wind from yesterday on a sea, on a lake, whatever, and be able to say, stop blowing. That's one thing. But everybody who's ever been on the ocean knows that after a storm is over, it takes about a day for the sea to calm down because of the momentum. No, 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 no. Everything was calm when Jesus spoke, including the water. Well, that freaked the disciples out. So they said, he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? So that's what he's asking you this morning, church, as was asking this first century church that was suffering. Why are you so afraid as if God is not on his throne and before him is completely calm because he knows what he's doing and he's in complete control? Um, I told you um, last week I wasn't sure I was going to be here today depending on how the medical things went, because I just had never gone through this before. And so I went to a regional hospital on Tuesday uh, to, for treatment for prostate cancer. And because of previous surgeries, I had to have this special kind of uh, guided radiation called brachytherapy. So the first thing they did when they took me to the OR was put a spinal block to sort of numb me down from the chest down because then they were going to insert 18 needles that were about 14 inches long into my prostate. And, 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 and the reason why they were doing that is because they were going to then later release a radioactive isotope through those 18 needles that was going to go into my prostate and, and basically uh, release some protons, which were going to eventually blow it up. <laughs> so... They, they wanted to slightly sedate me, medium sedate me, but that, you know how anesthesia is, anesthesia, if you don't have to have fully go under, they'd rather you not. So they gave me this, you know, some sort of sleepy stuff. And so I was in and out. And the, the thing that I remember most about the procedure is the fact of how laid back everybody was in the OR. I'm like, hey, hey, hey. I got 18 needles in me. And they're talking about spring break <laughs> and what their kids are doing in school. And they're making jokes, not about me, but, <laughs> but they were calm because they were in control. That's why there's a sea of calm before the Lord. He's in control. Because let me tell you something, when you, when you read about the sea in the book of Revelation, 
you need to understand that it is in the book of Revelation, the sea is associated with evil. Now, I know that just breaks your heart because, well, I like going to the ocean. I think it's pretty. I want to play on the sand. But listen, if you are in the middle of the ocean and the electricity or the power or the fuel goes out in your yacht and it's 80 mile an hour winds and it's 40 foot seas and it's dark at 2 a.m., you're not be talking about how beautiful the ocean feels, but how evil it feels. Scary. So in the book of Revelation, we are told that the most hideous force that's ever come to the world, most powerful political, military, tactical force, comes out of the sea, which is a reference to the evil of the world. Revelation 13.1, the dragon stood on the shore of the sea and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. So in the book of Revelation, the sea is associated with this evil world and what comes out of it that hurts us. But only for a time, because when you get to the book of Revelation, something very, the end, something you know, very interesting happens to, spoiler alert, something very interesting happens to the sea. Revelation 21, 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth and there was no longer any sea. There was no longer any world that could hurt you. It's calm. It's calm. But if you're going to leave here pouting because you really hope that there would be an ocean in Revelation, God does have some very, very beautiful water for you in the city to come. Revelation 22.1, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God. So from the throne that we're studying about today, the very kingly throne of God is a river that comes out that we will rejoice in and play in all of our eternity. One other thing about the sea, the world has hurt us. The world has hurt the church so often through the centuries, brutally. A lot of persecution, a lot of death, a lot of, a lot of torture. And, but there will be a day where we're going to stand beside the world and look at it. And it can't hurt us. It, this is told in Revelation 15, verses 1 through 3. God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass. And standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast so in the book of Revelation, the beast is, is, uh, is, is the instrument of Satan, the governmental agency that Satan uses. The dragon is Satan. The beast is the state. Standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast, and they held harps given them by God and sang the song of God's servant Moses. Well, of course they're going to be singing the song of Moses because what did God do for Moses? He took his people when they were about to be killed. He took them through the what? Took them through the sea to safety. The sea did not harm them. God split the sea. And then the sea was later calm. And they sang a praise song about it as we will sing God. Praises to God for rescuing us. Now let's look at the final group of people that we see in this heavenly scene. So in the center around the throne were four living creatures. So we already looked at God, the throne, then 24 elders. Now we're looking a more closer concentric circle. Four living creatures. 
And they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had the face of a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. So it's not hard to identify why would these creatures be covered with eyes is to reflect the omniscience of God that there's not one thing in your life that he doesn't see, not one pain, not one need, not one injustice in the world that will not be rectified. He sees it all as reflected by these creatures. Everything in heaven is giving a reflection of God's glory. So why the, why the four animals? It's a guess. But I think they represent different aspects of the greatness of God because they are great animals in themselves. God is like a lion in that he's the fiercest of all. God is like an ox and he's like the strongest of all. God is like an eagle in that he's the most majestic of all. God is like a man in that of all the creatures, he's the wisest of all. So you see the wisdom of God, the strength of God, the majesty of God in these four creatures. And these four creatures like to sing. Day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Day and night, listen, of all the things they could have said about God would be, now they're gonna say, this is their first song in heaven. Not love, love, love. Not mercy, mercy, mercy. Holy, holy, holy. And I'm so glad the band is about to improvise right now and sing that song for us. Just kidding. Holy, holy, holy. Why do they do this? Because the number one attribute of God is pure, 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 Morally excellent, morally excellent, morally excellent, sinless, sinless, sinless is what makes him God. No darkness in God at all. Impossible for him to do wrong. And can you see why the world is so worthy of judgment and we would be right there with them were it not for grace? Because of their determination to rebel against a holy, holy, holy God. Do you think the world gets up every morning and praises God for his purity? No. It is the purity. This is why people reject God. It's not intellectual arguments. Nobody rejects God intellectually. No, they reject God morally. They don't want there to be a God who tells them what is right and wrong. And that's the first thing that the creatures praise God for is his ability and sovereign right to say what is right and what is wrong. And after they affirm the holiness of God, then they respect God with this title, they give him, they mention God by three names. The Lord, which is a term that means master. Listen, these creatures reflect us the proper attitude toward God. So the first thing is that you are my master. I submit to you. Then they affirm him for being God the creator. They'll say more about that later. And then they call him the almighty ruler, which means he's the one that's Again, in control of everything today. Now, let me tell you something. It's very interesting. As these four living creatures begin to sing, then the 24 elders said, hey, 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 we want to do that too. So now we go back to the elders. <clears throat> oh, let me say one more thing before I go to them. The last thing that the, the creatures sang, the last attribute they give to God, they describe him in three ways as a God who was, that he cared for his people in the past, 
who God is. He's caring for you right now. And a God who is to come, he's going to reward you in the future. So it's a whole panorama of how God has dealt with his people. He's with them in the past. He's with you now. He's with you in the future. Now these other guys that want to sing. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne. It's, it's interesting. So you got these four living creatures singing, and then in antiphonal response, these guys are singing back because of their singing. It's almost what happens when the band does come up here in a minute, and we are like trying to outsing them. The purpose of church is to outsing the band, truly. The band leads, antiphonally we respond. That's what's happening in heaven. And look what they, 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 they praise God for. They praise him that he lives forever and ever because they want to contrast him with all the rulers of the world that have been tormenting them and oppressing them because those rulers do not live forever and ever. The greatest mistake that any ruler has ever made, Putin is making it now, but throughout history, Genghis Khan, all rulers, whether it be India, China, North Korea, United States, rulers feel sovereign and powerful and then God is done with them and they're no more because he alone rules forever and ever. And that's what they're praising him for. And look what they do. At the end of this passage, they lay their crowns down before the throne. This is why I think the 24 elders represent the humans that have been saved for 6,000 years now. Because the thing that makes us most happy in heaven is when we're gathered around God's throne and we're sitting on our thrones. How in the world am I getting a throne in heaven? I am. You are too, believer. Going to be on those thrones, white robes, get crowns, everybody starts singing, and I get to take my crown off or wherever it is. I don't know, you know, there's five types of crowns in the Bible. Whatever it is, my reward that I've gotten for preaching, that you've gotten for serving coffee, pancakes, doors, wires, babies, children, and CPC and inner city and giving to India, drilling wells, name it, teaching language, English language on Monday night for all the service. You get these crowns, these rewards, and now you get to go lay them at the feet of Jesus. I mean, how exciting is that? The singing starts and you get off of your throne and you get to go present it and say to him, thank you. And you got something to give him because of the way you lived your life. You ever been to a party and you showed me and went, uh-oh, this was a party where I was supposed to bring a present. <laughs> it's embarrassing. Everybody's bringing presents. You don't have a present to bring. Live your life in such a way that you'll have a present to bring to Jesus. And finally, we see the reason, the ultimate reason they're praising God. Revelation 4.11, they say to him, you created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. Well, there it is. It's the reason that anything has ever existed. 
the reason it started, there was a beginning, a bang. <laughs> the only thing, the reason that there is a history today, you drive your car here today, and the only reason that things exist and have their being, and the only reason that one day there will be no history anymore on earth is because it is by the will, the thought, the command of God, decree of God, that anything exists. Two weeks ago when Lisa and I were out at the Grand Canyon, we were thinking about this verse and just saying, God, you created all things and it is by your will, God, that all things have their being and they were created. God dug that ditch. That's the only reason it exists. The only reason it exists. You're about to open your mouth and sing, and the only reason that uh, your vocal cords, air is going to come across them is because of God, his will that you can sing. I cannot stress to you how important th this scene is in heaven of everybody worshiping God because it finally answers ultimately the question of what is my purpose in life, and we see it in Revelation 4, worship. That's why. While you're here, worship. And so what you're doing every Sunday morning is simply joining the 24 elders and the four living creatures, and we'll see next week the redeemed of the nations surrounding God. And every, every Sunday morning, the reason why church on Sunday morning is so important is it's your opportunity to join with them in worship. It's your purpose in life is to worship and you know, the Bible says that they do this 24 hours a day and you go, oh my goodness, am I going to get tired of that? No. Let me tell you why you won't. Because imagine this, you're walking up a mountain trail and you start at the, at the foot of the trail and you see a little trickle of water or the rocks and then you walk up three or 400 more feet and it becomes a, almost a stream and then you walk up six or 700 more feet and it gets pretty wide. It's almost like eight or nine feet wide and you walk up... Uh, 500 more feet, and it's really, really, really loud and fast moving over the rocks, all, a lot of little waterfalls, and then all of a sudden you come around a clearing a thousand feet later, and there's the source of this massive waterfall. Now, what are you going to do when you see it? Your body's just going to go crazy. You're going to go, wow, you're, you're going to clap. You're going to tell your friend, look, like he said, I see it, doofus. But you, it's not like anybody tells you what you have to do in that moment when you see the source. It's just spontaneous joy. Spontaneous joy. All we've seen so far in life is little waterfalls, little trickles, and a lot of mercy drops. My goodness, a lot of mercy drops. But one day you'll see the source where all the beauty came from. All the goodness, all the wisdom, all the power, all your success, you're going to finally see the source. So this is what we learned from Revelation 4. You got a throne in the middle of heaven. <clears throat> Around the throne, four living creatures. What are they doing? Worship. Around the four living creatures, 24 elders. What are they doing? Worship. It is crystal clear what the purpose of your existence and the purpose of history is, is the worship of God. 
And to miss that is to miss everything. Because that's what people do in heaven 24 hours a day. This is what Poitras says. The history of the universe from creation to consummation finds its significance in worship. The destiny of earthly beings, both man and beast, is, is praise. It's what you've been created for, what you're destined for. It's the only thing that will satisfy the longing of every human being is the worship of God. It sustains us. It strengthens us. It renews us. And ultimately, forever and ever, it is the worship of God that will thrill us. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.